0: Hey everyone, uh, my name is Puneet Singh Jaggi. I'm the founder and CEO of Present Technologies and extremely excited to be here today. If the term climate warrior could be used to describe a startup founder, then Puneet Jaggi would be the perfect candidate for the title. Puneet Jaggi, along with his brother Anmol Jaggi, are responsible for multiple green tech startups. And the first one they started straight out of college was Gensol, which is today a publicly listed solar power company. They have since gone on to launch BlueSmart, which is an EV ride-hailing startup, and Presinto, which is an enterprise SaaS startup building the smart operating system for green energy projects, and coming soon, an electric vehicle manufacturing company. In this episode of the Founder Thesis Podcast, your host Akshay Dutt sits down with Puneet Chakki to understand their phenomenal vision towards climate change and achievements so far. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Founder Thesis Podcast and any audio streaming app to learn about how to change the world while creating wealth. I always had the entrepreneurial bug. So I was taking part in a lot of business plan competitions and winning them across the country. That gave me confidence of this particular uh, idea, more in the field of uh, accounting and accounting regulations, uh, that I could do something. That's another one. And then, uh, like many of my friends, I uh, I was also sitting for CAT. So I thought that maybe I'll I'll clear one of the. Good management institutes and, and probably land up there as well. So I was I was evaluating different options. Ultimately, it came down to uh, to I was I got into Shell and I was very excited about getting into Shell and getting started over there. Um, it was a great company, great culture. Uh, but what happened is that being a part of the great culture, these guys uh, they gave us about hundred days of uh, of off uh, between. When we graduated, and when they started, and the idea was that why don't you explore some hobbies? Why don't you explore yeah. some interesting things to do? Uh, no, travel my elder brother, around. yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So my elder brother was this, uh, you know, hungry wolf sitting on the other side of college, who's mm-hmm. just waiting for me to join and then put me on the first <laughs> side to start visiting some solar farms, yeah. some remote yeah. part of Andhra Pradesh. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I still remember I graduated end of May, and as of first of June, I was. I was checking out solar plants and farms in different parts of the country. By the time the 100 days got over, I was so neck deep into business uh, that there was no way I was ever looking back. And the potential for, uh, for knowledge uh, gain, the potential for wealth gain, the potential for learning exposure, everything was so much as an entrepreneur by comparison uh, that I decided to stick
1: along for the journey. Mm -hmm. So this, you're talking about Jensol, uh, what he started in his dorm room, which today is like a publicly listed entity. Uh, That must have been a phenomenal journey of, uh, you know, dorm room to IPO. Uh, I would love (laughs) to hear that.
0: No, so, uh, I mean, um, in hindsight, of course, it is all very glamorous, looks very sexy. But uh, while you were building uh, and, and there were lots of ups and downs that we had we were originally in the carbon markets uh, we were uh, doing very well uh, in the carbon markets but then, what
1: was the original uh, uh, business plan or the, the uh, i mean what was the original version 1 of gensol like what 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 were so you doing the, there hmm.
0: so the version 1 of gensol that anmol had started out of dorm room was being a consultant to something called carbon credits right these were benefits given by united nations to renewable energy projects uh, in developing countries specifically and uh, uh, there is a sophisticated process that you had to follow in order to get to that uh, uh, those benefits. So what we did was that uh, we were consultants for that sophisticated process, creating reports, submitting it to UN, getting things validated, working with ministries, and so on and so forth. Uh, but but that business was very very worked very well for us. I think we were among the top five uh, consulting firms in the country back then. Uh, the problem was like
1: that top five uh, consulting business, firms in
0: carbon space or in carbon credits. Exactly in carbon space, right? So we grew to a team of about 120 people. Uh, uh, had 80% market share in Western India. So, so lots of interesting things going our way. The so that this would however, was uh,
1: be for what kind of who are eligible for carbon credits?
0: This is, this is any kind of uh, people who are reducing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. It can be renewable energy players like solar and wind players. It can also be co-generation biomass players. Uh, there's a bunch of different uh, ways in which you could remove carbon from the atmosphere and all of them are reduced.
1: okay. Okay. And, and right? there's like some sort of a protocol which you follow Correct. to earn credits. And those credits are a revenue source. You can sell those credits.
0: Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. These are traded across the world and so on. Uh, so what happened, however, was that uh, after the world was hit by recession in 2008, uh, you know, the demand for these credits significantly came down because these credits are basically supposed to be bought by the uh, polluters, uh, uh, primarily in European Union, but there was no more generation, no more uh, industrial production which was happening, and as a result, no more pollution. So nobody had the requirement for buying these credits. On top of that, uh, Kyoto Protocol, which is the protocol uh, uh, that was governing this mechanism, that was not ratified in 2011, 2012, and as a result of that, the entire mechanism collapsed.
1: Okay, right? no, so, not ratified by US or, or like? No, no, it was
0: it was generally not ratified by UNFCCC. I mean, it did not have the support of all the nations of uh, of extending the Kyoto Protocol as is. Everybody wanted to make changes and. Uh, to be fair, those was very valid uh, concerns. Now, the thing was that uh, uh, considering that we had already built up a practice in that, uh, right? So, we had kind of doubled down on the carbon practice. Uh, so, that was a slightly tumultuous time for us. Uh, the, the silver lining, however, was that in 2010, when I had joined, instead of getting into carbon, I started the solo consulting business. And solar was this thing, which was—I mean, there was less than a thousand megawatts installed in India in in 2010. So, very, very new sector. Uh, absolutely, nobody had much clue about it. Now, when when we in fact when we went to our first customer, he said that uh, you know why should I be paying you? You should be paying us because you guys don't know anything. <laughs> You'll <laughs> be learning at my expense, <laughs> right? Uh, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the second customer who we really signed up with, uh, he uh, kind of barely agreed to kind of cover up the bills that we had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that too, after our second or third invoice, he let us go considering that he said that was. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but the
1: third customer. Yeah, this was like, like a we had, design services you were giving them? Like yes, designing yes, the project? Okay. We were doing detailed project
0: reports, we were doing design engineering, we were doing project management. Uh, it's called owner's engineer, lender's engineer, that kind of stuff. But by our third customer, uh, we, had, we had understood uh, the game a little bit and we were then able to start completing our contracts and being there and then win the free contracts. And it's important to note that the market at that time, the knowledge at that time for solar industry is not what it is today. Everybody understands solar like a household name today. Back then, nobody knew anything about it, right? so. Solar was equivalent to space shuttles. Uh, so that's, that's all the solar that people cared about. So in that sense, it was a very uh, interesting, revealing journey, learning journey for all of us, uh, trying to sell something that you haven't got expertise in yet. <laughs> uh, and then being able to somehow connect the dots, uh, borrow knowledge, and, and try to still deliver and to delight for the customer, and then go back to the customer for the next repeat order, it was a very interesting and revealing uh, time for us uh, now as as we as we went along uh, so so we pivoted from being a carbon consultant to a solar consultant right and solar consulting then we kind of uh, got some scale eventually well, we were consultants to close to 33000 megawatts of solar projects uh, considering india has about 60000 megawatts installed that's practically every alternate megawatt Open stall project that is there in the country. So from very early days where we didn't know anything, now we were doing due diligence for some of the largest funds. Uh, We were solarizing airports in foreign countries. We were uh, designing projects, which were the largest in India. Even today, they are some of the largest projects in the country, so on and so forth. So it was a very, uh, very interesting journey. Now-
1: uh, does that mean that you, uh, I mean, did you remain uh, a consultant or did you actually start operating also and uh, running the uh, execution also and so on? Uh, like,
0: so That's a very interesting question. So what happened is that earlier we were just being consultants. That means our risk was limited to our fees, right? But it seemed that uh, the market is growing and others are making good money by executing projects as well. So uh, one of one of our colleagues who was there in the business development sales team, he said that uh, you know what if I am able to get you a project of EPC uh, to construct with same margins as you have in consulting. Uh,
1: right? What is so EPC, EPC? You said EPC is project EPC. construction
0: project. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So okay. so okay. when you take the order to construct the entire plant, it's mm. engineering mm. procurement and construction. Okay. Right. So. We were like, okay, give it a shot, and we got a first small-scale project, a ten-kilowatt project in in Delhi to begin with. And we understood that it was it was great margins back then. Uh, since solar was a very uh, nascent industry, there were not a lot of players, so we were able to get pretty really good margins. So that was the beginning of of uh, EPC journey for us when we started constructing uh, solar projects for for our customers. It helped our, our consulting business as well because uh, we had our ears to the ground. We really understood uh, what goes into building a project, what are the pricing, or different elements, what are the warranty terms, how are you able to negotiate, right? So it really helped us. Uh, consulting helped EPC, EPC helped consulting in that way. Now, both the consulting business and EPC business were great. But if so uh, it,
1: uh, an, an EPC business would be like, say, what uh, LNT. Uh, uh, does, right? like
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. and is, uh, of course, the biggest name. They're the builders of the nation, so they are huge when it comes to this. But essentially, that's exactly what EPC business is. Right? Now, now both consulting and EPC business were great, uh, but we were thinking that uh, although this is giving us good money, this is getting cash flows, we are able to get some margins, uh, we are able to grow. But uh, if you look at Uh, The consulting and EPC businesses, traditionally, they are not very highly valued businesses. You're not able to create good valuation out of these businesses. And the reason for that is that uh, there are two triggers to create a valuable business. One is that you need to be able to have annuity income, which means predictable long-term cash flows. Or alternatively, you need to be on a super hyper growth kind of trajectory. Right. So unfortunately, consulting and EPC business do not follow either of these two uh, trajectories. Right, right. Someone they they can't stated,
1: scale uh, we'll, like a tech business. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I used to think that, but if you would know the Gensol's growth over the last three years, uh, now I have changed my changed my views because we are growing at three x four x over the last year, even an even an EPC business at a base of a couple of hundred crores. But that said, back then uh, we didn't feel that, so we thought we'll get into operation and maintenance now operation and maintenance was was very interesting because operation maintenance is basically these projects are there for 20 25 years and you can get into maintaining of these projects and uh, you know in in putting it very colloquially it's it's difficult to uh, uh, to uh, let go of your maid who's working at your home uh, uh, right because she's used to she, you know that uh, there is a uh, you know she knows uh, how to get things done at your place you know the chemistry that you build over with with her or him over time uh, right so so forget if it is so difficult to get a maid uh, out of your place it's so much more difficult to get an operator out of your plant because there are technical elements involved there are remote there are, these are remote sites there's a lot of uh, tribal history that you end up accumulating over a period of time right so it's it's a great very very sticky business to get into and, and we doubled down on that. We, we grew uh, to about uh, 4,000 megawatt that we manage today, uh, being the largest independent operators of, of solar projects in the country. And the beauty of this is that uh, this was an annuity business, which means that even if I do not sell a single megawatt more, I'll still get the income that I was getting last month only by virtue of my existing contracts. Like, and most of these are long-term contracts because project life cycle is 25 years. So that was a great, great business. Predictability of cash flows, good valuation creation business. Now, after having built Gensol, uh, Consulting, uh, EPC, Operation and Maintenance, something that both Anmol and I realized was that, okay, now we're getting valuation as well, which is great. But we have put up a team which is 800 people strong.
1: When is this? Which year? When you hit 800? I think...
0: I think this is until about four years back or so when we, okay. were, we were close to about 18, 18. 18.
1: Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? And, and uh, so we have already built that team. And mm-hmm. uh, the thing is that we are getting about, say, 100 crores of, of revenue, which is amazing.
1: Yeah, and what but, was the split uh, for that 100 crores? How much from EPC? How much from mm-hmm. operations and maintenance? How much so from I, consulting?
0: I think it would be probably 50% from EPC, 30-40% from consulting, sorry, from O&M and another 10-15% from consulting, something like that, right? Um, So we we thought that, what do we do now? Because the problem that we had started to face is that 800 people is equal to 100 crores, but all of these three businesses are very headcount dependent, very manpower dependent businesses which means that if you want to become from 100 crore to 300 crore company, you have to go from 800 people to 2,500 people. Now, now with, with all due respect to you know, the the large industries in the world who employ a large amount of workforce, it seemed to be a path which had a lot of friction. It seemed to be a path which was going to be slower and that we won't be able to grow at 3x pace or 2x pace year on year uh, uh, with, with this... Uh, with this friction. So we decided that what is that one thing where friction is not there or where your growth is not linked to headcount and technology was the answer. So we want to do something in the field of technology. There were two opportunities. One was in, in the traditional business that we were doing, which was solar and uh, renewable energy and uh, which was B2B uh, building a software for this industry. Uh, and, and there are more other business uh, reasons why we want to do, do, do that. The other is that we, we were very fortunate to get into the carbon industry when carbon industry was young. We were fortunate to get into the solar industry when solar industry was young. And then at that point in 2017, 2018, the EV industry was very young. right? So we said that we'll do something in the electric vehicle industry as well. Now, the rest is history. You have already talked to one more, so you know about it, that... We started with 15 cars in electric vehicle that we did not know what we are going to do with it. And, and today, that 15-car fleet is a 3,000-car fleet in Delhi and Bangalore. And it's one of the most loved electric vehicle brands, uh, cab brands that is there in the country. And, and on the flip side, on the other side, uh, we focus on B2B, B2B SaaS uh, with Presento. Uh, which is basically we poured in all our domain expertise that we had so far and we tried to build a tool to improve performance of solar projects to begin with, but now also wind and energy storage projects across the world, right? So that was the reason why we got into the tech fields. And, you know, as as they say, the rest is history. Uh, We are very fortunate today that uh, uh, Blue is doing tremendously well Uh, Presento is growing at 3x every year Uh, Gensol is growing at 3x every year The stock is up 1,500% since last year Uh, The uh, uh, Param, which is the operation and maintenance business uh, That business has grown 60% last year alone And now going international So we are very fortunate that God has really blessed us uh, With respect to almost all our businesses and, And we have got a fairly good grounding beneath our feet now Hmm. so uh,
1: uh, when did the ipo happen this is about 3 years back that
0: we did ipo
1: okay okay so uh, you know what uh, what was the trigger to do an ipo like you know why why did you want to go down that route and uh, you know what what was that experience like that, that journey of listing
0: so uh... There were two elements of it. I think one was that we wanted to raise capital and mm-hmm. we were evaluating different ways to raise capital. IPO seemed like one of the ways to raise capital. Uh, what Maybe did you want the
1: capital for? Like-
0: our growth. I mean, we wanted to grow in EPC. We want to get working capital for our EPC business. We also wanted to figure out international markets with respect to our consulting. Uh, you know, We wanted to grow the ONM business as well. So, it was it was primarily meant for for growth uh, that we uh, we wanted the capital, but uh, you know you could you could have there were three sources: VCs, PEs, and uh, or maybe debt, and 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 getting more equity through IPO, right? So so uh, one was evaluating all options. We felt that IPO could be a real option for us, and that time the whole SME listing was just picking up, and you know Bombay Stock Exchange was very bullish on its SME listing that had a couple of good experiences in the past as well. So, and, and, and then there was an emotional element amongst all of this, that you know every entrepreneur wants to see the, the name of his company on the ticker going around the screen. Right. So there's this emotional, there's sometimes, some days it will be green, hopefully more green than red, but, but that's a, that's a different thrill uh, and a dream to every entrepreneur. So we also had that dream. Uh, Went through the process in, in hindsight. Uh, I mean, the process of going through the IPO was actually uh, much more difficult and much more long than what we had initially envisaged. But but that said, uh, you know, having learned what we have learned uh, and having given the returns to our uh, to our investors and shareholders who trusted us, uh, I won't want to change a single thing going back in. Uh, I would still want to go through that tough route, but being able to uh, get this journey. Now, the next ambition is to do this uh, in international markets as well.
1: Wow, amazing. So uh, and what would like some some of your learnings from that IPO process? like like you know advice to other people who are considering IPOs?
0: So, well, first and foremost, I, I think you need to be uh, mentally prepared with the volatilities of the market. Uh, you need to be mentally prepared to get into scrutiny of every uh, person who has a single share of your company, because you you owe them you owe an explanation to them, right? They have bought into your dream, they have bought into your company, and you do owe an, owe each and every one of them an explanation uh, for the investment and trust that they have put in you. Uh, another thing is going to be uh, this is not for the this is not quick and easy money. This is this is uh, this is uh, something that will permanently get tied to your reputation, right? So do not do not get into it uh, uh, thinking it's it's easy, it's simple. Uh, please get into it with your full commitment uh, and and uh, with the full uh, full awareness and knowledge that this is going to become a long term play and not a not a short term play. Right. So, if you are, but but if if you are prepared for the journey, this is one of the most rewarding journeys uh, that, that you will ever get in your life. I mean, it was, as I said. Having gone through the rigors of it, I will still not change a single mm-hmm. day. Yeah.
1: Uh, right. mm-hmm. And so you listed first on the SME platform uh, and are you still on the SME platform yes. or you moved to the yes, main? Yes, platform? yes. No, no.
0: We are still on the SME platform. Uh, we listed at the larger lot size. Now it's a smaller lot size, but that's still on the SME platform. And there are some conditions that one has to meet before they, they kind of migrate to the main board. Now we are we have done with most of the conditions. So... Uh, hopefully soon we should be on the
1: main board as well. Here's a quick update for our listeners. GenSol was listed on the main board after we recorded this episode. A main board would have more liquidity uh, and I think the exactly. ticket size is also much smaller. Like in SME, exactly, there's a exactly. minimum lot size mandatory. To... Correct.
0: Correct. So the liquidity is much higher. The pools of capital are much more deeper. Uh, you are able to... Uh, have a lot more credibility by even main board in comparison to the SME board. I mean, that said, uh, there's a fair bit of liquidity, at least in our stock. So we are aware that, uh, you know, it's, it's not too bad being an SME, but as I said, uh, main board is just where the big fish are. So it's better. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. To yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's when, you know, like I guess mutual funds and institutional investors also start. Yeah, right investing Correct. in the stock and, right.
0: Correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we were fortunate that in the preferential round that we did very recently in Gen we were able to get institutions as well.
1: Okay. Uh, but that Amazing. said,
0: it's a lot more easier to get institutions when you're in the main Hmm.
1: Right, right, right. Okay, okay. And uh, so uh, what was your role in Blue? Were you actively involved in that or was that mostly uh, involved doing no, it?
0: No, uh, so... so initial stage of almost every business, everybody ends up doing everything. So we don't really have got well-made job descriptions. But but Blue was largely in Moles baby. And then Sunit Goel, his co-founder. Uh, and, and then there are other team members who came by and joined the so I guess my biggest contribution to Blue over the years has been that the CEO and CTO of Blue are one-batch college juniors of mine. Okay. I was able to get them to join us in the initial stages of the company, and these are two very, very fine, uh, very fine engineers. Uh, operational marketing genius, one of them; the other is a tech genius. So, uh, the, so that's I guess my 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 largest contribution and my calling card to anybody in blue. Uh, but that said, it's uh, I think it's it's come off age now. It has one of the most seasoned teams that is there. We have got people who are ex-uber. We have got people who are. Coming from the best of the uh, technology and mobility backgrounds, uh, uh, and, and yeah, we—it's it's a juggernaut already, and it grows every day in size and love in every mm-hmm. parameter that is of importance.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. All right, amazing. Uh, you, you know, uh, this mobility space needs a lot of burn, and uh, I mean, you know, the, the like even the existing players are struggling. Uh, what made you take that bet on mobility? Especially uh, that B2C mobility, you know, that passenger uh, mobility.
0: So there were, a, there were a couple of things. Uh, and I, I mean, I would, I would be wrong to say that we had it all figured out on day zero. It was not that we started that, this is okay, this is our market research. This is the, uh, you know, thousand-day plan. And this is how we be going to become a billion-dollar company. It wasn't like that. So there were a lot of iterations, hidden trials. We got lucky a bunch of times. But there were a few foundational theses on which, uh, you know, the business got based. One foundational thesis was that we always wanted to be in B2C and not in B2B. And the reason for that was that when it comes to B2B, uh, knowing from our own experience of doing B2B businesses over the last 10 years, beyond the point, it will always be a race to the bottom, right? Uh, if, If your services are same as your competitors or the differentiation is not very huge, it's going to become come down to the best possible pricing and ultimately transportation is a utility business. So, so we did not want to get into that. Uh, we did not want to erode all the value away. So although B2B seemed like the most logical segment for electric vehicles, uh, yet we were very clear that we wanted to be into the B2C space, wherein our relationship is directly with the customer, uh, and and it's not a matter of getting into RFQs and procurement cycles of large businesses and companies, right? So that was that was one part. The the other element that we got very right very early on is that uh, within our space, uh, we are probably amongst the few companies or the only company uh, which pioneered the model of uh, decoupling asset ownership from the driver. Right. So in blue, uh, the uh, cars are not owned by the drivers and and this is of of amazing uh, amazing consequence and significance you know all the problems that you have today ola uber that uh, you know much bigger brothers than us much larger companies the problems of cancellations the problems of cars which are not as well maintained the problem that the driver is going to ask that why don't you give me a direct uh, ride instead of uh, trying to uh, trying to book it through the app a lot of those reasons are because people are just trying to get their ends meet. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, unfortunately, the, the drivers do not come from the most elite of society strata. Uh, if they have uh, somehow put in the money to get a car, they have taken a loan against that. That loan they are not getting at the same cost as you and I or even corporates can get. Yeah, because they are, yeah, because the they high are risky high borrowers. Price. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? On top of that, if you look at them, I mean, they do not have the privilege of having large parking lots to keep their cars safe. They don't have the privilege to make sure that their servicing of the cars are always done right. Right, And then when the incentives get cut uh, or when the, when the commissions of uh, the uh, companies, the tech companies increase, that leaves them hanging with even lower amount of money. And God forbid something like COVID happens Uh, And, and, you know, there is no option but to have the EMIs bounced and the cars to get impounded. So that is the reason why many of them are selective when it comes to which sectors they want to ride on or why uh, you will see a driver who's stressed with 13, 14, 16 hours of driving straight, uh, why you will see them um, not switching on the AC. right? fundamentally, as a human being, nobody wants to give a bad service nobody wants to own a bad name right everybody wants to do good everybody wants to take pride in their job these these are the circumstances that lead them to uh, to getting into these problems now on the contrary when you when you give them dignity of job when you give them a uniform to wear when you give them a dependable uh, structure of uh, of uh, of remuneration when you give them uh, the respect without the burden of emis and car maintenance you know, you just see the amount of love that they have for the customer, the amount of service that they want to give, and it's absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing, right? So I guess that was one great, uh, uh, one great uh, insight uh, that we got right early on, and uh, that has been a game changer. I mean, people don't uh, even even if you have to. Uh, ride an electric car versus an, uh, an IC engine car, maybe you'll will be willing to spend five rupees extra on a ride. But if I ask you to spend 200 rupees extra, maybe you'll also think twice. Right? So there are very less people who do electric vehicles for the good of the planet. Most people need to just be, go from point one, point A to point B in the most cost efficient, dependable, reliable way possible. Right? And that's the reason why people tend to love blue because it's dependable, it's reliable it's cost efficient, it's clean, and then there is a sense of pride because you're doing good for the environment.
1: Mm, Okay, amazing. So the key difference uh, here or your mode here is you own the cars, uh, which allows you multiple unlocks. Like for one thing, you are able to get a better rate of interest uh, than a driver would. So your cost of ownership would be lower. Second thing, uh, EVs anyway, I think cost of ownership is lower. The running cost especially is lower. Uh, third thing, you are able to have more uh, influence over driver behavior because you're not you have more power basically in that equation. So you can influence driver behavior in terms of making sure that they are wearing a uniform and things like that, which uh, an Ola or an Uber may not have that kind of influence. Uh, So there
0: are, there are multiple, there are multiple things that went right for blue. uh, Right. So this is, this is, uh, so first of all, we don't own the cars. We lease the cars, right? So blue is not a, uh, blue is an asset like model. It's a tech company. It's not a, asset-heavy model. That said, uh, uh, that said, there is a lot more control that we are able to have on the cars because uh, electric cars, uh, you know, they run for about 200 kilometers at a time nowadays in today's uh, commercially available cars. And, and uh, you know, after about 125, 130 kilometers, we would want the car to come in, but the drivers still have hours available to drive. So the driver will come in the morning, will pick a car, will drive about 120 kilometers, get back the car to a hub, deposit the car, take the next car and go back again to drive, right? Similarly, the car will get charged in about one and a half hours, and we'll be available for the next, car, the next driver to pick up. So every car gets driven twice in a day. Every driver drives two cars in a day. And that's the beauty of the ecosystem. Another mode that got built is that if you want to build the Uber of India, you also have to build the Indian oil of India, because so far uh, the electric Uber of uh, of India, if you want to build, you also want to have to build the electric Indian oil of India, because the, so far the Ubers and Olas of the world, they have not ever lived in the constraint of fuel. Right? There was no constraint of fuel ever. If ever fuel gets over, go to the petrol pump, it will take two minutes, get it filled, be on your way. Right? But now there is a constraint of fuel involved as well. So there is this charging infra that you require and the charging infra as of today requires one and a half hours of even in case of fast charging. So you have to solve that problem. Every time that you're picking up a ride you need to calculate what is the distance from what is the current charge of the car? what is the distance that the passenger is at? After that what is the destination distance? once that ride gets over, what will be the left charge? is it going to be enough to reach the closest charging point after reaching the charging point is there going to be a slot available otherwise should he be directed to other charging point so on and so forth right so there is a very very complicated
1: decision making all of it yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: so yeah. so we were so again we we have got some of the best engineers and technology team working at bloom so uh, they have they have come up with some of the best uh, algorithms to make sure that we have got great uh, passenger ride matching that happens. And and because of all of this, uh, you know, the cars are available uh, to people on time. Uh, they don't cancel. And, and more often than not, I'll say 99% of the times, the customers are super happy.
1: Amazing. And uh, I think Blue is on the verge of a unicorn round, right? Like the, the next fundraise would be like a unicorn fundraise.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. So, so, so the, the standard answer that that uh, you know anybody who in any of our businesses, whether that, that be Blue or uh, Presento or public-listed GenSol is that sir, our, our, our job is to create a great and valuable business. It's meeting the eyes of the beholder. It's the investor's job to peg a value
1: to that business. Our job is to create a great and valuable business. Mm, right. right. What is Jensol's valuation, like the market cap? I think it will be closer
0: to about 1500 crores today.
1: Amazing. Okay. 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 So uh, let's talk about Presento. What was the uh, opportunity that Presento that you saw and hence started Presento? So, the, the,
0: uh, in the renewable energy world, back from 2010, when in India alone there was less than 1,000 megawatts, and today it's about 60,000 megawatts of solar. And the example of solar is also extendable to wind and the example of India is also extended to globally, right? So the entire world saw a huge, huge amount of renewable energy capacity come in the last decade or so. Approximately $3 trillion of investment has gone into the sector over the last decade. But when this investment was happening, the profile of the investor was also changing, right? Earlier, it was people with a couple of crores or a couple of million dollars who could put in the money and get good rewards. But today, it is driven by institutional investors, very large energy companies, very large pension funds, very large sovereign wealth funds who put in money in the sector. Now, these people have got a lot more, a lot less risk appetite. They are a lot more risk averse in comparison to the original set of investors that were there. And in case of solar projects, wind projects, which have got a very long life, right? They are there for 15, 20, 25 years time if not more, the single largest risk is that you put your entire money upfront today. And then what happens if your project does not perform? I'll tell you what happens. Even if it underperforms by 10%, you end up eroding the equity that you have put in the project. If it ends up performing underperforming by 25%, you end up eroding the debt. So it will be difficult for you to repay back the loan that you have taken on the project. Right? So that's why it's important to protect the generation and to improve the generation of the solar project. Now, although this problem was a no-brainer and very well understood, however, what when we saw in the market the different tools and digital tools that were available, we did not find them up to the mark. Right? And, and we were trying to understand it why. Right. So, first and foremost, I mean, from our wearing our consulting hat and an operator's hat we understood that manually it's not going to be possible to figure out how to improve generation. These projects are spread across hundreds and hundreds of acres of land, or they generate millions and millions of data points every day, right? So it's impossible to kind of do a walkthrough audit, sit in the middle of a solar plant and tell that these are the three things that you can fix and you'll be good. The reason for that is that, A, it's a point in time analysis. I mean. The, whatever judgments you make, it's true for right now and today. One month down the line, the results will be different. right? And the second problem is it's just not possible to cover that breadth of area, that that depth of data points manually. The other angle, as has been done in the past, is you download this dumps of data over your computer. You try to figure out you're using Microsoft Excel, using Google spreadsheets but the sheer volume of data is so high that these tools, conventional methods won't work. So you require a strong digital tool. Now in the digital tools that we saw, particularly of American lineage, of European lineage, countries which have been more advanced than us when it came to deployment of renewables, we saw that the tools that they had developed were very good, but they were good in getting the data from the site to the screen they were not very good at telling you where you're losing power, how you can improve generation. So that's the missing gap that we were playing towards. That's the missing gap that we wanted to fix. Now, the reason why we thought they were not very effective in doing that is because it requires a certain bit of domain knowledge to be able to understand that how can you go about improving generation and having the engineering experience behind us, having the operational experience behind us, we kind of came with very good hands-on knowledge over a decade of experience to be able to build such a tool. So that's what we double down upon. Uh, what we do is that we collect the data from the sites, we get it to our cloud, we run our data science models on the cloud, which are guided by the boundaries of our domain. And from there, we are able to give these beautiful nuggets of insights. You know, you're losing 1,000 power, 1,000 units of power on a certain set of panels because they are dirty, 2000 units of power on another set of panels because they are degraded, 10,000 units on a third set of panels because the radiation was lower, etc. etc. Now, these insights by themselves are, are very important, they are incredible, they can make a lot of impact, but that impact happens only and only once these insights are acted upon. So, you have to make sure that your side crew members are nudged by these analytics and insights to take an action right? That's, what we, that's where we built uh, a, a sophisticated computerized maintenance management system, wherein the insights get converted to job tickets or work orders and get shipped to our mobile app. The mobile app carried by the site crew member uh, gives them a guidance that what do they need to do, where do they need to go, what tools do they need to carry, what safety precautions do they need to take, and when they act upon those work orders, the generation goes up. So, Precento is today able to make an impact of about $5,000 of improved revenue per megawatt per year, and we charge less than one-tenth of that. So, that's why today we are deployed on uh, 13 gigawatts
1: across 14 countries. Wow. Okay. So, uh, essentially, presento is like the operating system of a solar power plant, like, you know, in, in the sense that the way you are directing people on what tasks needs to be done, and so on, it sounds a lot like how an operating system works on a computer hardware.
0: So that that's something that we like to call ourselves, we are an operating system, uh, for uh, we, we are the brain of a, of a, of a solar plant. Uh, in full disclosure, we started with solar, but then we got into wind, then we got into energy storage. It was a it was a pretty amazing journey because we were led by our customers to open these new verticals for us. Hmm,
1: hmm. So uh, I'm guessing that your uh, first customer must have been GenSol only, right? Uh, you, you would have initially yeah, yeah. like built, Absolutely. tested, refined uh, with your uh, with the GenSol uh, operational projects, uh, which would have helped you to have a mature product before you went out uh, to external clients.
0: Yeah, we were were our own guinea pigs. So (laughs) we did try all the experiments in ourselves before we uh, kind of uh, started selling externally. Presento is not a very young company. It's a five-year-old company. The first two, three years of our business, we were just building product which could carry its own wage, which had enough meaning for it to be attractive to third parties. right? And once we were able to build a product with enough depth, that's when we were able to get our first 2000 megawatts. Now, that's where the magic really started to happen because now we had the data to put data science on top of. Without data, there is no training of the models. There are no models that we can build, nothing we can do. So that's when the real uh, magic of machine learning, data science, artificial intelligence started playing out. And today, probably, we are the most intelligent uh, platform in the
1: world. Wow. Amazing. So uh, I want to get a little bit more technical also. Uh, Maybe you can explain the technical stuff in in a, in a, like a layman language. So what are the data streams, which are getting captured? You know, what all sources of data do you have and how, what is the interplay between them? uh, You know, which leads to those insights? Like you could explain with some examples if you want to.
0: Sure, sure. So, uh, first and foremost, we need to understand that unlike uh, the generation sources of the last decade, uh, solar and wind and energy storage, these are very smart uh, 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 generation sources which are able to create a lot of data, right? So, these are already coming equipped with a lot of smart sensors, which means that we don't have to deploy any new hardware when we go into the site. We are able to get all of this uh, data ready-made at any solar plant, or wind plant, or storage plant that you want to go on Earth, right? So, so what happens is that Recento taps into the flow of data from these sensors, which is already coming.
1: What we kind are, of so, uh, sensors? Like, give me some examples. Like, what all data streams are uh, you capturing? In case of
0: in case of solar power plant, uh, let's look at that, right? So, we have got thousands of solar panels in a solar field. You've got radiation column on these panels, which leads to these panels creating DC current. But you and I don't use DC current. We need AC currents at our homes, factories, and hospitals, right? So that's why there is an inverter in between, which converts the DC current to AC current and feeds it to the grid. The panels are done devices. They are not able to generate any data. But the inverters, they are made by GE, ABB, Schneider, large electrical and electronic behemoths and these are able to create a lot of data so we get all our current voltage frequency all of the electrical data from these devices on top of that we have got weather stations which are able to record the temperature the radiation the wind speeds and then we have got smart meters uh, which are able to uh, which are able to capture the amount of power that you are withdrawing from the grid or feeding into the grid So, Presenter is able to take data from all of these three different data sources and get it to the cloud. On top of that, then we are fortunate that we have been able to build a tech stack that is able to integrate data from other data sources also. For example, we have got our app, which is able to give us data with respect to work orders, work order completion, the location of completion, the consumption of spare parts, etc., then we are also able to integrate data that is captured by drones about 80 to 100 feet above the ground level. The drone flies on top of a solar field and it carries a regular camera and a thermographic camera and it captures thousands of photographs of the entire solar plant. We get these thousands of photographs. We stitch these images together. This uh, drone deployment
1: images. is a, a standard feature, all solar plants deploy drones.
0: Uh, all solar plants deploy drones but uh, as a platform which is able to integrate uh, the drone data along with monitoring data all in one place in one platform i think that's something of a global first that presented right so so once the once the data is essentially there then you run your computer vision scans and you are able to figure out which thermal signatures correspond to which kind of faults And then you are able to kind of dig down into underperformance at a module level also as a result. Uh, Last but not the least, we also integrate with third party weather data, uh, right? Whenever uh, we have to forecast generation. And uh, uh, now uh, we are also tapping into the flow of data from power exchanges, right? So the next next evolution of Presento is that from from a platform that focuses on improvement of generation, We want to become a platform that focuses on improvement of revenue. Now, one part of improvement of revenue is improving generation. The other part is improving the price of power that you're selling, which means that I can.
1: Isn't there uh, like a standard fixed price for uh, power tech? Yes.
0: So there are two kinds of uh, power agreements that you have one is fixed price agreements, and the other is merchant power, where you can sell power on the open market to the highest buyer, to the highest bidder right now uh, till the time the the sector was uh, was nascent uh, in order to give credibility in order to make sure that financing was available the government signed long term power purchase agreements but now particularly abroad but i'm soon very sure i'm sure very soon in india as well we will start seeing uh, projects uh, with merchant power which means being able to sell power directly to consumers or to the exchange to the highest bidder Now the interplay of storage is important. So the power will get generated in the morning, but the prices are not the highest in the morning, right? Solar power will be generated in daytime. So you'll store that into your energy storage and discharge that power in evening when the prices are the highest, when the demand for power is the highest, right? And this process is going to allow you to be able to get the maximum return on your investment in solar and storage. But you need an intelligent platform that tells you how much you need to sell instantly, how much you need to store in storage, at what point do you need to sell power, when the prices are expected to be maximum, and after doing it all, how much return have you really made versus
1: in a fixed tariff
0: kind of an arrangement.
1: Mm, Okay. Uh, This uh, revenue optimization uh, is more of a global product, or even in India, there is this opportunity, uh, like uh, this kind of... uh...
0: So this is not an opportunity of scale as of today in India. But that Mm -hmm. said, uh, when you look at the uh, U.S. market, there are seven ISOs uh, or seven large areas in which the electric grid is distributed. Each of these ISOs have got their... What's what's an ISO? Independent system operators, right? So these are are basically your electric grid operators in, in different parts of the country in the U.S., right so and each of these uh, operators have put their own rules by which their power markets are governed right so we have uh, we have now pretty much made our system for one iso and then we we'll kind of take it to the others and then we'll also go into other international markets uk market is one of the most sophisticated australia is coming up in a huge way in this market as well so although india is uh, a little behind when it comes to deregulation of sectors and such free trading of power as we have seen in these places but we will very soon get there the the reforms in the Indian Electricity Act are enabling us to get there very soon.
1: Hmm. Okay amazing Uh, what is your revenue split by country like which country contributes how much to presenter?
0: So majority of revenue is still India based because we started in India a bunch of our portfolios in India it's only in our, uh, in our last uh, couple of months that we have really started focusing on our international expansion, where now we have teams across uh, U.S., across Europe, across Brazil,
1: uh, and, and then growing from there. Okay, okay, okay. And what is your ARR, the current uh, annualized revenue run rate? We're a little more than a million
0: dollars as of today, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, fortunately growing pretty fast
1: so what is the opportunity here like you know what is that total addressable market size like how how big could this revenue number be what's what's the target you have in mind
0: so um, the targets are, can be can be very very bullish but let me tell you what i've heard from seasoned vcs and and seasoned saas players so a good a good saas company a, a top tier saas company after it has hit about a million dollars plus in ARR, is able to grow at 3x, 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 2x, 2x over the next five years, which means one becomes 3 million, three becomes nine, nine becomes 27, 27 becomes 54, and then it becomes 108. So that's your pathway to become a billion-dollar company. That's your pathway to become a centaur, a $100 million revenue company uh, over a period of time. So although our... Uh our interest and our mission is to be more ambitious than this but that's it uh, that's a fair estimate for us to uh, for us to aim for uh, uh,
1: is, is the market uh, like deep enough like you know are there is there so much money being spent on uh, operation and maintenance okay
0: well no, absolutely okay. so so uh, uh, bloomberg has digitization of energy market by 2025 to be a $64 billion market, right? Uh, And this is only the digital spend. This is not hardware and sensors, right? Uh, But we believe that that's an understatement. We believe it's going to be excess of a $100 billion market. Now, a part of this market is uh, renewable energy. A part of this market is energy storage. But then there are other elements also like distribution uh, digitization, smart meters digitization, building energy management systems, and so on, right? In our own estimate, we believe that the market size for a product like ours, uh, say by 2030, is going to be closer to 10 to $15 billion. Right? So uh, there are multiple unicorns in every niche of the market that are waiting to be created. Uh, there's a lot of depth in the market, and generally speaking, which are whatever projection that we have held today, three years down the line, I'm sure we'll find this to be conservative.
1: <laughs> okay. Amazing. Okay. Okay.
0: So, uh, okay. it's a, just a very interesting time in the, mm-hmm. in the trajectory of these two sectors that we are in. You know, you look at energy sector and you'll see that over the last 70 years, your electric grids have not changed much. It's the same, you know, chimney smoking coal and gas-based plants that are there, same transmission lines down to the same transformers just before your homes that feed in electricity to your homes, right? Not much has really changed over the last 70 years. It's only in the last 10 years that these new kids on the block, solar energy and wind energy, have really changed the rules of the game. So much so that by 2030, 50% of entire world's power is going to be coming from solar and wind right so that is one level of disruption which is happening then there is this other, other angle of disruption which is on the digital side you know infinite computational power that is available in the cloud uh, you've got mobile telephony which is available uh, uh, so distributed uh, connections which are available you've got internet access which is pretty much global now and at, at dirt cheap prices right all of these different elements were not available a decade back so, from one side, there is a huge disruption in the electricity sector. The other side, there's this huge disruption coming in technology, and we are very fortunate to be to be born in an era where we are at a cross section of these two disruptions, right? So, just just kind of uh, hoping that we are able to make the best use of it.
1: Mm, amazing. Um- is uh, green energy, uh, in terms of cost of green energy, is it comparable to the traditional uh, energy? Uh, like, uh, what are the factors which are driving this, like you said, 50% of uh, energy output will be from renewable energy. Uh, so, is it purely just uh, like that ESG pressure of uh, being good for environment? Or is there also a cost-benefit analysis here which is causing this? So,
0: it's not comparable, it's cheaper, right? So so uh, if you look at the last few thermal plants uh, that have been given, you'll see prices between four rupees to five and a half rupees per unit of power uh, for new thermal plants. If you look at the last few auctions of solar and wind, you'll find prices between two rupees and three rupees, sometimes even going below, right? So A, it is cheaper particularly for countries which are in the tropics where solar power, solar radiation is bountiful, then it's no-brainer that this is a significantly cheaper power source uh, that is there, right? That said, it's not as if there is no role for other sources of power. Till such time that the prices of solar plus storage combined are cheaper than the 24-7 power that you are able to get from coal and gas. Till that time, there is work to be done, because one of the problems in solar is it's not available 24 hours a day.
1: Right, right, right. right. Mm, so
0: what happens mm. when sun goes down and in the night time also you need power? For that, the cost of solar plus storage has to come down. Now, till about three years back, this was a distant dream, but now, and with with all due regard and thanks to the electric vehicle revolution, we are seeing gigafactories come up, and as a consequence of that. The storage capacities of the world are going up through the roof. Storage, energy storage as a sector is expected to grow at 30% CAGR over the next decade. Right Today, we have about 30,000 megawatt hours of storage. By the end of this decade, we'll have 700,000 megawatt hours of energy storage. So such huge amount of markets, and this is only stationary energy storage to be put along with solar and wind plants and so on. Right? So, so so such huge amount of growth is expected now considering the prices of storage is also coming down. And that's what we see happening in more mature markets already. And that's what is going to happen in India as well.
1: Okay. And uh, Presento is also reducing cost of storage, right? Like through your algorithms and uh, like the platform yeah. that is Okay. Uh, h- yeah, how do you do making that? making like-
0: storage more efficient. Uh, it's not that we are reducing cost, but we are trying to get more efficiencies, increasing more uptimes of uh, these storage devices. So essentially what happens is that uh, the the storage is a lot more complicated than solar and wind because in solar and wind, you just generate power and feed it. So there is one side flow of power. But in storage, there is two and fro, both sides storage has flow of power. There is charging and discharge. The other element is that in case of solar and wind, the insights used to come from data, but the action was being taken by a human being on the ground.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Whether that be starting an inverter, a turbine, or whether that be replacing a component, initiation of cleaning, whatever. Right? In case of storage, even the control is done by software. A human being does not need to intervene. Right? As a result of that, software has got so much potential to improve performance and to be able to Uh, make a much larger disproportionate impact in case of storage vis-a-vis solar and wind. So we are that much more excited about storage as a
1: result. Hmm. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. So what do you see as the product roadmap for Presento going forward? Like, do you see yourself getting into allied areas and uh, or, or like solar, wind and storage? These are like your three focus areas. And within these three focus areas also, is there further work that needs to be done?
0: So there is, uh, yeah, I mean, there are there are three or four different directions of possible growth for us. The first way of growth is, of course, that we keep on getting deeper into the sectors that we are already in, right? So, for example, uh, last year we were doing four buckets of losses that we are identifying for our customers. Now we are identifying 12 buckets of losses in solar, right? So getting into using... AI what, are, what are these uh, buckets
1: of losses, uh, if you can name a few?
0: You, you lose energy because of different reasons, right? Dirty panels, degraded panels, but then there are other reasons like shadow falling on panels or snow falling on panels, radiation being lower than expected, temperature being higher than expected, so on and so forth. So, so we, we were, till last year, identifying four different reasons of losses. Now we identify 12 different reasons of losses. Uh, the same is extended to wind, the same is extended to storage. Uh, we are now working on ability to predict uh, these losses into the future as well, to predict faults into the future as well. Uh, we are working on interesting use cases uh, like financially intelligent recommendations. We should be able to tell you how much you're losing, what is the dollar impact of that, what does it cost for you to rectify that, and at what time does it make sense to, for you to press that trigger? right? So financially intelligent recommendations. So these are some of the things to go deeper and deeper into solar, wind, and storage as well. In storage, we want to support more chemistries. Uh, we want to be able to get into the power markets, etc., etc. The second, The second element of growth, this is getting deeper into our existing domains. The second element of growth is getting into new geographies. Right? So US and Europe probably is about 70% of the global market of our software. So we need to have very strong inroads. We have got recently made some inroads in Brazil as well. South America is a very promising, very fast-growing market as well. Right. So these and are the tropical countries, so to, basically. Yeah, we need to grow by geographies, uh, and India is probably five percent of the global market. So India is meaningful, uh, but that said, uh, we need to. It's a no-brainer that we need to go into international markets as well, right? So that's the second uh, axis of our growth. The third axis of our growth is when we look at getting into different other verticals. So we went from solar to wind because uh, a lot of solar customers also end up owning wind assets. There's a 70% overlap between solar owners and wind owners, right? So it was a logical, easy upsell opportunity for us. From solar and wind, we went to, to energy storage because that's where the future of solar and wind is headed in order to be made, making power available 24-7. You required solar and wind to be available within energy storage, right? So that's why we went to energy storage. Now, if one of our customers tomorrow is going to say that you know hydro is an interesting element, or electric vehicle charging is an interesting element, or smart meters is an interesting element, or transmission and distribution automation is an interesting element, those are the places that we can keep on going ahead. At each of these times when we have gone into a new vertical. It was a customer who handheld us, who gave us the data, who gave us the expertise to actually make inroads into that vertical. Today, we have about 10,000 megawatts of solar, 3,000 megawatts of wind, a couple of hundred megawatt hours of energy storage onto platform across the world.
1: Mm. So, uh, y- you know, you what you and Anmola are creating is, uh, I would say, like, you know, the the current version of, say, what, like, the Tata family or the Bridla family would have created, <laughs> you know, in terms of, like, a group of businesses uh, you know how do you see uh, the so do you have like a holding company structure which holds all these businesses and you know w- what is the i mean what's like a 20 50 year journey for the group as a whole well uh,
0: uh, well okay that's that's probably too long a timeline for me to be able to make any projections i guess uh, There'll be a couple of values that we will just try and do to, and uh, uh, we'll just keep on building businesses on those values. Uh, the wealth generation uh, is going to be a consequence, and we don't have a number in mind. We don't have anything specific of a target. Uh, the way that that we put it is that the moment you make a business to sell, uh, you are uh, you know you lose your real focus. The moment you are making a business to please a customer and building a business for perpetuity, you automatically get suitors for such a business, right? So, so the the money, wealth creation, invested interest is a consequence of a great business, and and not the other way around, right? Uh, so, so we don't have any such uh, thing. The values that we are hoping that we'll always do to be to buy, we we we. Both, both of us and across all our businesses, we are very, very focused on customer centricity. You know, customer is the center of our universe. Customer is God. Customer pays money. That's why we eat food. I mean, it's as simple as that. And that's something that I think has been drilled down to every last person who's, who's there in any of our businesses. The, the other element is that we are strong and very vociferous advocates of fighting climate change. This is all that we have ever done. This is all that we ever intend to do, uh, right? So, so, uh, and and we don't do it only for the goodness of the heart, although it is deeply satisfying to go back to bed in the night, go to sleep peacefully, knowing that you did something meaningfully good for the environment today. But we also do it because there is money to be made, right? The next thousand unicorns are going to be coming from climate tech. Uh, there is no two ways about it, right? So, so. Uh, uh, so we build. We believe that this is a huge challenge and a huge opportunity in which uh, you know hundreds and thousands of entrepreneurs will have to create great businesses to make a meaningful impact on Earth. So as long as we are you know true to these few fundamental tenets, uh, the the rest will take care of. As for holding company, yes, there are some structures that have got put in place over time, but uh, I mean it, it, we 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 do not very. Uh, we do not very consciously uh, uh, put that in place. Uh, at some point of time, I think we'll have to stop playing games and try to put something more serious. <laughs> on the
1: right. Today, today it's not mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. OK, as in today, you're not really thinking of branding it as a group yet. These are like individual businesses run by either you or Amol or jointly. Uh,
0: yeah, so so we, we um, So Blue is a consumer brand. That's the only consumer business that we have, right? So Blue is a, I think it's a a great consumer brand and we protect it uh, a lot.
1: Uh, You also acquired an EV manufacturer recently, right?
0: Yes. So so Jinsol acquired uh, uh, an electric vehicle uh, uh, platform, technology platform uh, to get into the manufacturing of electric vehicles as well. Mm. Mm. Uh, And will that be a... Consumer business or? So it will have multiple components. Uh, One of those components is meant for passenger vehicles as well. And then there are fleet vehicles and then there are cargo vehicles that are a part of that platform, Uh, right? Early days, it's not a huge platform. Hardly 15,000 cars a year is what we are getting to start with uh, starting early next year. And then we'll be taking it to to phase two and then getting it to uh, uh, more scale as well.
1: Mm. Uh, w- w- what will be the number of cars in phase two?
0: Uh, phase two, we are hoping to get a 60,000 car plant uh, 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 getting getting ready. Uh, but as I said, let the phase one happen. Let uh-huh. us right.
1: Right.
0: feel mm. happy with whatever we are building. Let us iterate mm.
1: on the product. And, then we mm. the phase two. Mm. Mm. and where are you setting up this plant, the EV plant? This is, this is coming up in Chakan uh, in mm. Pune. That is the
0: one of the automobile hubs of India, yeah, right? Right. So, so right. that's where that's yeah. where the first plant is coming up,
1: and this will have a very large made in India component, right? Like,
0: uh... yeah, I mean, we are sourcing a lot of our equipment locally from the uh, from the uh, ecosystem that already exists in Chakan. Um, my my our dream is that one day everything hundred percent is going to be made in India. Unfortunately, we are still dependent on some imports until uh, this time it happens.
1: Mm. And, and this will make four-wheelers. Like that's the focus. So
0: that's the interesting part—the form factor of the first model of car that we'll see on the ground. It's a two-seater car with three tire base. So two wheels on the front and one wheel in the back. Right. It's uh It, it has got a very sporty, very cool look to itself. Uh, so anybody who sits in this—I mean, it's a, it's it's a it's a, it's a really cool, fun car to drive. Uh, and electric cars. They come with great acceleration. They come with a great amount of intelligence. There's a lot of AI that we have gone into that has gone into the car. A lot of intelligence that is getting built into it. So yeah, it's going to it's going to uh, reward the consumer with a new kind of an electric experience that they have not seen mm-hmm. in the past.
1: So this would be like a consumer product between a two wheeler and a four wheeler like the, the even from so affordability and.
0: Uh, yes. So one thing that we 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 understood is that india uh, as a country has 70% of its sales happening in the sub 10 lakh segment right but but even uh, until today i don't think there is a car and electric vehicle available in that segment right so that is the reason why we wanted to launch a car which was a lot more affordable which uh, but but was nevertheless uh, able to pack the best punch of all the beautiful things that are possible with electric vehicles are able to bring a cool new zinc to itself uh, that an EV is able to bring, right? And not only in terms of uh, the technology, but also in terms of form factor that it is a good aspirational product to own. So we took care of all of these elements uh, as well uh, when the car was being designed. And uh, yeah, so now we are hoping for uh, a good response considering the price range of the product, considering the cool form factor of the product. Uh, and, you know, you know, the, the way that we joke around internally is that probably the first few cars we are going to deploy on Blue platform. So what that means is that uh, you know the customers will be paying us even for test rides, because they'll be riding, ride in Blue.
1: <laughs> right, OK, OK. But uh, a two-wheeler on uh, Blue, I mean, it, uh, I'm just wondering if it will suit Indian sensibility. See, the thing is, like, Tata Nano as a project failed because it was not enough of a car. Um, so th- this sounds a little risky. Uh, what you're describing to me, let like me, a two-seater. Let, uh...
0: let me let me tell you two two facts that are there. One is that vast majority of rides in India are single passenger rides, right? So 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 as far as picking the box is concerned, a single passenger ride, we are definitely able to take care of that. The second, the Affordability after a 20 rupee, 22 rupee, 28 rupee a kilometer kind of a four wheel ride is that of an auto, right? Which is probably 15 rupees or 18 rupees kind of a ride, depending on different cities that you are in. Now, what are you getting in an auto? You're getting a rickety ride. You're not getting necessarily this, all the safety that you have in a car. You are not even getting an experience. You're not getting air conditioning. You're not getting- Yeah, a there's no system. environment connection. Hmm, hmm. Right? so but you're still paying 15 rupees 18 rupees a kilometer for that right now if a two-wheeler is able to give you the safety the technology and the experience of a car at the price which is somewhere between an auto and a car it makes it it, it creates a category of its own right so so i guess that's going to be the i mean four wheels are not going away anywhere it's not that this is going to come at the expense of a four-wheel market right uh, and, and over a period of time in the roadmap of of uh, uh, of the eV manufacturing, there is a four wheel ride, which is also planned. there's a passenger vehicle which is also planned, which is the part of Phase two. right? But that said, uh, I mean, we have tried to uh, do our bit uh, in getting innovation whether when it is entering into new sectors, launching new models. So why should factory mm-hmm. be any different?
1: Right, 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 right. And uh, what are you branding the evr Have you finalized the brand yet, or? No, we
0: we haven't. There are much better uh, branding minds than ours. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's a work okay, in progress. Okay,
1: okay, okay. okay. And uh, the factory is it like a robotic factory? The way you like, you know, like you heard Elon Musk building robotic Tesla factories, which gave him a lot of problems, also. But is that how you are going, or like?
0: So, we do have a lot of automation, yes, but uh, mm. there are no beautiful red painted robots uh, <laughs> uh, with long, long lines mm. that we are building. Mm. Uh, I guess this is a very humble effort from our side right. In right, to right, create right. something which is unique. Mm. Uh, God mm. willing, mm. at some scale, we'll start comparing ourselves to musk factories as of today. Yeah. <laughs> mm.
1: Right, right, right. I think one interesting trend I've seen in India is that. Uh, EV is picking up for cargo vehicle space, not much for passenger. And I think in China, it's the reverse. I believe in China, the passenger vehicle EV space is extremely hot. And you have a lot of innovative vehicles there. And I I think China is now the biggest EV four-wheeler passenger market in the world. Uh, What do you think will play out in India?
0: So, uh, I mean, cargo has its own role to play and so does passenger. The reason why cargo is happening uh, faster is because cargos are a lot more predictable loads. Cargos have got lot more predictable routes. You can plan for charging, discharging. You can plan for charging stations. There is no range anxiety associated, right? A cargo passenger is a lot more sensitive to the cost per kilometer and electric vehicles. The cost per kilometer is lower, whereas an uh, whereas a a, a passenger who is buying a car for private use, uh, right, he is a lot more qu- conscious of the brand, conscious of the way what the car tells about him, and so on as well, right. So this is no brainer. I mean, I, I mean, even if you look at it, the EV adoption in fleets is the highest mm. today, mm. Uh, right, in comparison because to of private
1: predictability. cars. Predictability,
0: right. Mm. Because of predictability of routes, because you have got an ecosystem that you could manage, and so on but that said uh, when you look at uh, when you look at uh, the us market in the us market there are so many uh, uh, teslas that you would find today right it is one of the highest selling cars uh, that is there so so there is no reason that once you take out these pain points when you reduce the range anxiety once you are able to get a car in the price points that a consumers can afford once you're able to build an aspirational product that people are proud to drive in, the private uh, utilization and private ownership will also rise. It's it's not it's not cargo versus private use. It's cargo and private
1: use. Hmm, 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 hmm. Okay, okay. Are you also looking to start a, a charging? Like you said, the, the electric version of Indian oil needs to be built. Is that on the roadmap for the group? It would make sense, uh, right, as as another piece of the puzzle uh, for the group to build.
0: So we had to do that. Uh, I mean, Blue is already doing that. So Blue has about 1,700 chargers on its network already and only increasing. And Blue's chargers have some of the highest utilization that is there in comparison to what is available in public domain.
1: And Uh, and these are open to public, the, the Blue chargers?
0: So, only uh, very recently have they been made open to public and we are seeing percentage points of improvement in utilization as a result. So, these are very early days for us, but earlier they were uh, kind of uh, captive to only our blue free.
1: Right, right. Okay, okay. And that will be a separate, like you want to spin that off as a separate business or it will remain inside blue? Once, once,
0: once again, I mean, we are uh, more focused on building the business. You know, spinning it off, unlocking of value, structuring deals, hmm. we leave it to better <laughs> than yeah, okay. us. We've got yeah, some okay. of the best investors are backing us in blue. So, uh, you, know, you know, they are they are much better placed to figure out how to unlock that value. What we are more interested in is that every ride that is being taken is a ride that is a five-star rating or not. Every passenger is a happy passenger. Every driver is a proud driver. That's something that we are interested in ensuring.
1: Right, 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 I would be fascinated to talk to you in future uh, because, you know, I, I feel that uh, as the group grows, you're uh, currently, you have the operator mindset, you're an operator and you're very hands-on. This would eventually become into the uh, portfolio manager mindset, I'm guessing, you know, where <laughs> you are looking at the portfolio and how to derive synergies and opportunities for cross, uh, you know, like... Stuff like that. Like like what, say, th- th- would be happening in a Tata or such kind of groups, I'm guessing.
0: Um, I mean, thank you. I mean, um, I love the fact that you're bucketing us with such elite people, but there's a long, long time to go before we can count ourselves amongst those uh, people. Uh, that said, uh, I think what, what Anmol and I uh, bring to the table is this exact uh, operator mindset. I mean, Uh, So, uh, you know, there will be a time when uh, probably the group growth is going to be 20, 30 percent and not 200, 300 percent, right? And there will be much better professionals uh, than us to run the business at that time. But today, when when the aspiration is to have multi-fold, multi multi bagger kind of growths, uh, I think we are pretty good uh, people to run the business as operators. Let's see
1: what the future holds. Who knows? Hmm. All right. Amazing. More power to both of you. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to this show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium.in. That's ad at t-h-e-p-o-d-i-u-m dot in.